All right, welcome back. Episode 59, almost 60. Joey is back. Welcome back, Joey. Hello, everybody. <laughs> we missed you. Missed you a lot. You know, you had better things to do than hang out with us on Saturday. We, um, it's all right. You know, I forgive you this time. Maybe not the next time, but this time for sure. So I wanted to start out with actually a Joey-related topic is that Disney has announced that they're going to be building another one of their ginormous master plan communities. And a lot of the news out on was that this is going to be their first big master plan community. Everyone seems to forgetting, be forgetting about this town of celebration in Florida that was in, what did we say, Matt, the 90s? It was, I thought it was on here. Do you know? Uh, no, I'm not sure. 1996. Yeah, yeah. No, all right, yeah, so it was 96, about 20 miles outside of Orlando. So yeah, it basically built the entire town itself. And I feel like people always forget, Disney is in fact one of the largest developers in the United States, and they have this ginormous arm that allows them to build all this stuff. So, I mean, you know, at first glance you say like, how the heck is Disney gonna be building a giant community full of single family homes and condos? And well, they absolutely have the capacity to do it. And they've got their, you know, they've got California, which is one of their big headquarters. So it's gonna be kind of exciting to see. And the fun thing, so like you can hate on Disney all you want, and I'm not like a Disney freak. I know that we were, surrounded by adults that are obsessed with Disney, which I always found kind of strange. No shade if you are like that. But they do a fantastic job with immersion. It is unbelievable how well they do with this kind of stuff. And you, you honest to God, have to see it to believe it. And I know, Joey, you're, you absolutely love Disney because you guys have gone down for a bunch of times. But it's so much closer to us, and we're able to get to it more easily than you are up north. And I'm just, I'm still astounded every single time at just how well they do of making you feel like you're, like, you're in a whole different world. You're completely outside of reality. It's wild. Yeah, it's a great getaway. I mean, it's one of, one of my favorite places, and, and my girlfriend almost likes it a little bit too much because she'd, she'd rather go there than to places like Cancun. It's, it's crazy. It's that much. <laughs> she enjoys it that much. Um, but I also enjoy it as well. Um, and, and this is all pretty interesting that they're, you know, they're getting started on these residential communities or i guess you're kind of picking them up again if you consider celebration to be the first one which it really is and it goes back to walt disney's original um idea he wanted to build the first utopian city which was supposed to be Epcot. then he died and we talked about that on the show before um and now they're kind of going deeper down that lane and just looking into a little bit of history of celebration i didn't even know that place existed but it looks like these uh planned residential housing areas are going to be like even more immersive in the disney world yeah, I think they structured them like they do their parks, which is a wild concept. I mean, I can think of plenty of people who, if you told them this, they'd say, I'm, I'm packing up and moving immediately, which means it's going to be expensive as all hell. Uh, and obviously, it's California, so double that expense from whatever you were expecting already, and then drop taxes on it and make it miserable and wildfires, but whatever. I know a lot of people love California, so again, no shade. But I, we're still so underbuilt by pretty much all the numbers and people are going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. We're building more than ever. And I was like, I don't, and you know, apparently we're having fewer kids than ever before. Like I, those are the numbers that have been coming out recently. And that's all over my Twitter at least is everyone's like, oh God, we're going to run into a population shortage, which I don't know how that's going to happen, but we're still underbuilt by almost every measure, which is very strange because people are buying their second houses and investors cannot buy enough single family re like rentals. So this is good i think we're providing more product that we need and it's going to serve a big old community i don't know i think it's really cool it's gonna be interesting to see when it's done yeah i like it it makes me wonder if like 
um, if Disney's going to charge an additional Disney tax to, to live there and call it the Homeowners Association, the HOA fees, and then Disney takes a cut because, uh, I don't know, I just wonder how they're going to profit off this. I hadn't thought about that. I think the main goal of this is to sort of just keep people buying products within the Disney line. Like, now, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to vacation in Disney, you say, oh, I live in a Disney place where they, they sell Disney beds and Disney this, Disney. Like, they're going to basically just fight Amazon to be the provider of every single good and service possible. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And especially if they, I mean, I, I hadn't even considered this, but you throw up a gift shop like uh, you would see in Disney World uh, the right down the street. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, we were joking. They're going to have the Mickey Mouse Country Clubhouse. I, I just think that's a great idea. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> they should build a golf course too, man. That bunch of great things they can do. Yeah, they could put up a heck of a golf course. I love that. All right. Well, I just wanted to mention that, get the get everything started off on that note. But the meat of what I wanted to talk about today is the return to office concept. And I saw an article on LinkedIn this morning, actually, which really got my gears turning. And the title was, Will Gen Z Ever See an Office? And LinkedIn article is always interesting because you open it up and it's always basically just like a post and a half is the size of the article or it's way too long and you don't read it in the first place. But the reason that I typically don't read news on LinkedIn is because it's just a giant billboard of everyone posting about how great they are and like kind of sucking themselves off. It, it's, it's, it's a miserable place to gather your news and I don't like it at all. You sit there and someone's like, I love this article. I agree with it. It reminds me of that time that I won a medal for blah, blah, blah and made top salesperson in 2018 and they just go on and on. You're like, dude, what? You've added nothing to this conversation at all. But we got some really, it, it, it was kind of a fun dynamic under this. And so I'll run you guys through it. The, basically the pro side of it was, and the pro meaning pro remote work saying Gen Z doesn't ever need to see an office. No, it doesn't matter. Was a lot of probably our generation and one above that all said, yeah, the office is great. The office is great for one reason, because I got to try it and realize how awful it is and how much I don't need it. And I think it's also worth noting that a lot of these people said, hey, look, we can get all our stuff done in a shorter period of time, and it's possible for us to have multiple income sources. We can have one, two, three side hustles that we work on. We build businesses, we sell products, and we're able to be creative, and that makes us happier than being locked into a desk in a chair. And the con arguments, which were, no, Gen Z must go into the office, they have to, uh, they're going to get fired and never get a job they don't, was young people need to be in the office to network, socialize, and share ideas. The other argument I saw a lot was, it's not my job to make my employees happy, it's just to put them in a position to grow. And usually there's the underlying tone of, well, they need to grow my company because it's mine and I need them to work. And I mean, these people, so if we're discussing that side, they're clearly not internet natives. I've seen more ideas shared among internet users from across the country within Discord channels over Twitter than I ever have walking around an office. It is so easy to connect with someone new and meet someone and share ideas, put yourself out there to write and create in public nowadays. I, I think it's, it's honestly foolish to say that you have to be in an office environment to learn and have those interactions. So I'll get off my high horse in a minute and let you guys go forward on here, but I did want to be aware that there's, I have a lot of confirmation bias on this one. And so my mind was actively seeking out the, we don't need to be in an office things because I really don't believe we do. I, I think the future of work is going to be a completely hybrid model in which you can create whatever you want. And there's no reason to force anyone to go. And we've talked about Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, 
bunch of big companies, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, those, the big financial firms especially, how they've said, no, we think our people have to be in the office or we're not going to pay them. And then they also turn around and say, oh, my God, help us. We need employees. We have no one working for us. And then everyone's looking there, shaking their head like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you just you just told people you wanted to make them miserable and not give them what they wanted. And then you're surprised when they don't want to work for you. So that was a lot. But what do you guys think about all this? Um, I, th- I think I'm very pro remote work. Um, I think a lot of it depends on your industry, though, and your role as well, in, in a way. Um, I've always been remote since my first position and my first position I ever had was like, uh, it was in an internship with a small recruiting firm and I helped them collect a bunch of data and stuff and then end up recruiting with them for a little bit. But it was nice to be in an office there because it was a small company of six people and remote work would have never worked for us. We didn't have the infrastructure, the, the capabilities, the the database was all in-house. You wouldn't be able to use it at your home on a laptop. Um, but I mean, that, that's different. That's a small company. And then the two other larger companies I work for, the, my last role and the one I'm in now, it's, it's, mm, I love it. I would never want to go back to an office, um, especially in the corporate office setting. Uh, but I digress. No, I, yeah. li- I like that point. Go ahead, Matt. For me, I've never worked in a office type setting and I don't think I ever will, but I'll use my mom's job as an example. She she works an office job type thing and she can do all of her work from home, but they're forcing them. They do like one month on one month off of work from home. And the whole reason for this is, is there's essentially two people to every job and one person has to be at work to print things off for the other person. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever that you have to have that person there to print things. First off printing, probably not all that important. Second off, if that's that important, like get rid of half the office space, reduce it down and hire one person where their sole job is to print things or just make it so everybody has a dedicated print day during the week where they come in for a half day, print all the stuff they need to, and then go back home for the rest of the week. You're the chief executive printer, CEP. <laughs> hey, it'll provide a job for someone if it's really that important, but having people like move back and forth is a waste of time and staying in work is a waste of time. I really don't see any value for companies. I think if they let people work at home and they actually cut down on office space that they have and use things like the WeWork collective to just have it ever so often, then they're going to save a whole lot of money. But I think there's a whole lot of old white dudes in suits that think otherwise. So I find another interesting point here is from just my looking and there's no data behind this, but it, it did seem to me that the people who were arguing that everyone's going to want to return to an office, they all seem to be in positions that profited from more people being in an office. So while I'm trying to be aware of my own confirmation bias here, I think there was a lot of confirmation bias on every single side for this. This was, no, I make money being in an office, so therefore everyone's going to want to be in an office because it's important because I need to justify my own position. I say that's perfectly fine. I get that 100%. But you got to listen to what everyone's saying. And if you can automate something, why wouldn't you? The majority of all jobs that have ever been created have been destroyed and replaced because we found more efficient, better ways to do stuff, right? Right. But even if they're like an office manager or a supervisor type thing, their whole job is essentially to just watch and help other people. I feel like you can still do that same job, work from home. You just have your on a discord channel or whatever else open and people can pop in ask questions you answer them you move on same thing 
Discord has been such a blessing. I so it it has its problems, and I know a lot of people don't like it. And there's better alternative, but be, being built basically around it. I think there's a project in Web three called Better Discord. That's literally what it is. And I cannot wait for the day in which companies use a program like this that was designed for something else, but works just as well here. And they say, who gives a shit if it was originally meant to allow people to talk while they're playing video games? It is such an awesome tool for one, hosting meetings, two, compiling data, three, collaborating, all this awesome, it, it's just great. It's, I, do you guys like it as much as I do? I do, and I feel like if Discord, had, I'm not sure how good their servers are. I'm sure they're fantastic with how much people run them for games. I don't understand why places like my school, when we paid for Zoom, and that was part of the reason they pushed for us to be back in person was because they didn't want to pay for Zoom anymore is that why didn't we just use Discord? It's free. We could have all hopped in here. It would have been the same exact thing. New purple button scary. <laughs> I know that's a that's a good question there, Matt. And I and I feel like a lot of it too is just it's a lot of ignorance in the academic world of Discord's existence just because it's so heavily related to the gaming world. And I, I don't know if they're intentionally pushing it that way. Like if they don't want the business from the academic world, but it, it does seem like because of the stigma of Discord started as essentially the party chat of PC gaming and, and it just, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it just seemed to never push into the academic world. So what happens in 15 years when the world is run by ex-gamers? <laughs> then Discord becomes the new Microsoft Teams. That's what I'm thinking. I loved, you guys sent me, uh, wow, God, what was it? You guys sent me the tweet or we all, uh, we all said that tweet in, uh, let me see what it was. It was to like the Canadian... Something or other. Help me out here. I can't remember what it was. There it was the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, and it was Anthony Pompliano said it, and they uh, <laughs> they they asked the uh, Nunchuck IO, which I guess is a self custody wallet provider. I don't I don't I, I think I assume that works like MetaMask, right? Soon, yeah, yeah, pretty sure. So just a wallet to hold your crypto and transfer tokens and all that. And so they sent them and said, hey, we need you to disclose user information and freeze X users Bitcoin. And they responded and said, <laughs> Nunchuck is a self-custodial collaborative multi-sig Bitcoin wallet where a software provider, not a custodial financial intermediary, which basically just means like we don't operate as a financial firm. And then they said, our software is free to use. It allows people to eliminate single point of failures and store Bitcoin in the safest way possible while preserving privacy. Point being, it's run on a blockchain. It's not gonna fail, usually. We do not collect any user identification information beyond email addresses. We also do not hold any keys. Therefore, we cannot freeze our users' assets. We cannot prevent them from being moved. We do not have knowledge of, quote, the existence, nature, value, and location of our users' assets. This is by design. Please look up how self-custody and private keys work. When the Canadian dollar becomes worthless, we will be here to serve you too. Sincerely, the Nunchuck team. Holy cow. <laughs> I loved that. I thought that was awesome. I just love it because like it's a bunch of what I'm assuming are Gen Zers, Gen Xers, whatever that created this company, and they're communicating with lawyers who like their whole job is do research, find a way to prove that someone's wrong, and it's obviously they have no clue what's going on yep. with this whole new part of society that is forming, and it's like your whole job is to figure these things out to like win court cases, but they obviously didn't do anything. I agree with that, and up until now, I feel like. 
the big thing was, look, this is so small that we can basically just bully you and say, you're using a, the wrong system, we're gonna force you into using our system. But now enough people are working within the Web3 world and trying to adopt decentralized finance that they look and they say, hey, we need you to do this. And they say, no, 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 we, we cut out the middleman. We solved the problem that was you. You actually are the problem. Now we've solved you and you're gone. And they say, well, where's our power? And they say, you've lost your power. We're able to now operate in freedom. It's great. Obviously, it's not all happy roses and dandelions. There's big issues to be solved and there's tons of rug pullers and scam artists and that comes with anything. But it's awesome, awesome steps in the right direction. Yeah, the, like the whole point of like Nunchuck specifically was like, we created this so you exactly couldn't do that yeah. and like freeze assets and take control of things. The whole purpose of our system is to counteract you. Yes, I agree. And with everything that's been going on in Canada, which I don't think we need to highlight because it's mostly political stuff, but with everything going on in Canada, I think that has been a giant kick in the butt for everyone to look at and say, hey, look, this is why we're doing this. We want to avoid giving central entities the power to single out who they want to control and who they want to punish. We don't like that. We prefer when everyone's on as equal footing of a ground as we can possibly have. That is the goal, I believe. I agree. And I think that's the major point is like the whole point of Web3 and all the decentralized finance was trying to put us on the same level as the big wigs because the big financial or businesses, whatever, they have the lawyers that could would run this out forever and it's too expensive. So the government kind of is hands off for the big part, but we just found a way around it and are doing things to make us on the same level. I agree. And we're, <laughs> we're having to leverage technology they don't understand and create new things, which is always fun. But one of the big, uh, I guess, concepts, arguments, not really an argument, one of the big topics I've heard recently is a lot of the older traditional finance guys, a lot of people that I expected to be more on board with this uh, kind of bums me out. But a lot of the guys I, I do look up to in the finance world all said, look, this is just, a, it's a pendulum that swings one way or the next. It happens like every 20 years. We'll say, all right, it happened in the early 2000s. It happened in the 80s. And there was a big crash after each one of those and everyone just kind of gave up. My big argument there is that's not true at all. The internet has absolutely taken hold and only gone further. The 80s might've been different because we had a lot of fraud and Jordan Belfort and all those people. But I, I, I really just, I think the reason that I want to say this way, this time is different is because we can all communicate and rally behind it. We can't be sectioned and siloed off at this point. It used to be, hey, look, there's a bunch of people over here who are trying to figure out how to get out of the control of centralization. Let's just cut them off from society and put them in jail and move on. You can't really do that anymore. Twitter will go crazy. The entire internet is going to know what's happening within five minutes. And if enough people get behind something, you can change it. You just have to have a majority. Yep, it's weird. I think the one of the scariest things for when they try to crack down on this stuff is like, or specific people is the first thing they want to do is take away their phones so that way they can't go out there and communicate with everybody else and let them know exactly what's going on. And then as soon as those people get their phones back and they start telling the world about it, it blows up. Yep. Cut access to the internet, cut access to the banking system. Once you remove access to the economics, you are essentially helpless. There's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Okay, that's a very deep topic. We should do that one at some point, like a full deep dive, but today is not the day for that. I did want to mention super quickly, and this is a bit of a left turn, did you guys see the whole Kathy Wood thing on CNBC? I haven't been paying attention to her. She did a great job. So I, I didn't actually watch the video, but everyone, everyone was kind of like railing on her because she said 
she went on a Zoom meeting on CNBC to talk about our, her investments and all that stuff. And while I understand that she's a polarizing character, we've talked about her in the past, I do think she's a very smart woman. I think she knows what she's doing. I think she's popular for a reason. And she gets she gets exactly what she's doing. But so the point of this was that they had the, uh, the 10 minute warning popped up on her Zoom thing. And so everyone was making fun of her and ripping on her Twitter and said, oh my God, you know, you've got all these billions of dollars. Why don't you just buy the upgraded Zoom and all this stuff? And so they were very quick about it. And so they went on the ARK Investments Twitter and sent back and they said, you know, they said, oh, no, it was actually CNBC's Zoom account that they were using. <laughs> so apparently CNBC doesn't have upgraded Zoom and that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Plus, like, we had a whole TV show for a while that was, what was it, Millionaire Cheapskates or whatever, which was based around the fact that, like, people that are really rich but also got rich by, like, not spending money on things they didn't need to. Yeah. Well, you know, Jim Cramer's got pretty much, like, every wrong bet in the planet whenever he bets on stuff, so. I'll, yeah. I'll blame him for losing all their money. <laughs> the the anti-Jim Cramer bets are the best. Oh, those are great. I love that page so much. And they track it, too, which is absolutely hilarious. They, like, go the opposite of whatever he says and end up making a ton of money. Yeah, it's funny. There's a few. That, there's another one that's not Jim Cramer that's out that's, like, he mainly provides advice to like young adults and that type of thing and his whole thing is like I, you shouldn't see uh you shouldn't be inside of a restaurant or any other place like that uh until you're fully out of debt yeah and i was like okay but like i get that like you shouldn't be trying to spend as much money but that's not reality for most people like it's mcdonald's at one thing you're spending five bucks for a meal i agree with that the uh, I mean, I say this a lot. The way that we're using money, the way that we're going to use money is completely changing and is going to change even further. But I don't know. I think the way we do debt is also going to change. But I, So like the first piece of that is we need to fix insurance, which is something I wanted to bring. And I know, Matt, you're, you're big on this one too. And Joe, I don't think you feel as strongly as he does, but the whole insurance problem is just absolutely killing us. It's unbelievable. So this is fun. This is from the Emerging Tech Brew, which is a spinoff of the Morning Brew, which we all like. It was a statistic, and this is a direct quote. Insurance claims involving accidental virtual reality damage jumped 31% in 2021 and are up 68% over the last five years per Aviva, which is the UK's biggest insurer. Never heard of them. I guess we don't have them here. And the most damaged item they had was TV. So I guess you know people go into their VR headsets and they don't know where they are, they lose, and so they punch their TV and break it. But I was sitting there thinking, is it how, like, how is it possible to underwrite and make VR insurance? I'm pretty sure whenever you go in there, you've already drawn the line in your Oculus. It says, okay, it's going to tell you if you exit the line, it's going to cut you off. You have to be kind of, you have to be kind of stupid to like really break it. <laughs> like it's not, it's not hard. I think there's a bunch of videos though, where it's like a whole lot of newbies to VR or whatever that are doing it. And then they like. They're like on the edge of a building and then they actually like fall over like because like they can't really yeah. determine like they're not really aware of their actual home environment around them. They really think they're in whatever area that they are. Well, yeah, I mean, Joey, back me up here. The immersion is fantastic in VR and they do a really good job making you feel like you're actually there. But at the same time, you have to you, you can I don't know. It, it seems it seems silly to me. Have you ever broken I've, anything? I've had, I've had some close calls where I've punched a wall before and okay. stuff and. 
I don't know. You just get so immersed in like if you get turned around and you think the the one side, you think if you reach out, you know, you're just going over your couch or something, and then you're actually facing your TV and you hit your TV or or the the real tough one's verticality. If you're in a room with low ceilings, there's no way to mark the boundary of the ceiling. So if you like are climbing something, you punch up. Next thing you know, you just punch your hand off the wall. That's true. That's true. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. There's been plenty of times I'll admit where. I'll go in there and I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm facing my fan. Like I know exactly where I'm looking and I take it off and I'm completely 180 from wherever I thought I was, which is a little disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's easy to do, especially if you're playing a game where you're like actually moving around within the room too. Like with Beat Saber, I can see like you should not punch your TV. That's very difficult to get turned around in. But if you're playing like, uh, I don't know, like an action adventure game, like, I don't know, maybe like the Star Wars Tales from Galaxy's Edge or maybe like one of the Battle Royale games and you're actively moving around like, and you're like crouching and going prone and like, it it's, it can get easy to get lost. Yeah, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. Well, I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I'm wondering if they're gonna start like, you know, you get the Geico commercial and says, bundle your home and auto insurance and virtual reality insurance as well. It's gonna become a big enough thing. I said, my my thought was, I think there's a real way to make an underwrite VR insurance if it becomes at least a quarter of our workday and that would count with virtual reality and augmented reality, which is different, very different. And I don't think anything like that is going to happen for at least five more years. Yep, I could agree with you on that. I I mean, I don't use my headset yearly as much as I wish I could and just because there's just not enough hours in the day and I don't use it for work. And it sucks hours down. You can go in and come out two hours later and you thought it was 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah, it's really easy to do. It's not. It's like going down into like a really good book or something. You just all of a sudden look up and it's midnight and you're like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to take go ahead. a hot take on this. Uh-huh. We don't need insurance for things other than health, car, and house. I agree. Because if it's anything other than those you should be able to afford to replace it. And if you can't, you shouldn't have bought it in the first place. Yeah, or the money that you put into insurance is inevitably gonna be more expensive than the thing within a year. Exactly, there's a whole lot of people out there, med students included, I know plenty that have like 70 inch TVs in their household and it's like a multi-thousand dollar TV. And I'm like, you only have loans. You took out 70,000 loans and you bought a $3,000 TV with it. Like, what are you doing here? You can't afford to replace that. You shouldn't be doing those things. Are you accusing young Americans of being bad with their money? How could you? I'm not accusing young (laughs) Americans. It's every generation. There's a whole lot where I think in general, most groups within society are, we're living outside of our means. We own a lot more things that we don't necessarily need because of like the FOMO thing where everybody has a $1,200 phone in their pocket that we're not using any different than the one from five to 10 years ago, other than the fact that Apple bricks them a couple years after they come out. Yep. Uh, No, we, all right, you and I have gone on plenty of rants about this one as well. There are so many people that are spending money they don't have and I, it's it's interesting because you look at it and you say, all right, well, you can't blame someone for just trying to do their best and living their life. You know, I totally get that. I absolutely totally get that. And I'm in a different position than everyone else. Everyone is in their own position. There's no reason to blame someone for where they are. You can only blame them for their actions forward. And additionally, I think about this a lot. I I do want to do. I want to take a deep dive and write a piece into this at some point. But 
at what point do we begin to blame marketing for hijacking our thought process? Because we're not, we're definitely not evolved enough to like deal with a lot of the emotions that are put in our heads from the marketing schemes that the large companies have. There's no way we could be prepared to look at it. And I mean, God, you see like a, like a sizzling steak from Applebee's pops up on the TV. You're going to be hungry. Like you're going to look at it and say, oh my God, it looks so good. Like I can almost smell it. I totally want one now. And the fact that you want it, that they could hijack you like that is a little scary. It's still all down to self-control at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, yeah. At some point it is. I can see that sizzling steak, but I look at my bank account and I've got twenty dollars in there and i go hmm maybe i shouldn't go get the sizzling steak we're gonna have the rice and vegetables i got at home it's not that hard of a choice but there are plenty of people that still can't make that choice they go get the sizzling steak with twenty dollars in their account type thing like at least in our generation i see it so yeah go ahead joey i would say you're right but nowadays you know we are faced with so many other distractions and the marketing tactics are so much more advanced than any other generation of humans in the history of the human species. I mean, shit, you turn on your TV, you got 20 ads trying to sell you on something. You turn on your phone, you're getting 20 ads trying to sell you something. I open on my laptop, ads all down the side and pop-ups trying to sell me something. Joey nailed when it. That was that never was really point. the case. I mean, yeah, you had magazines in the past and billboards and radios, I guess, but but it is constant stimulation from the time you wake up. And if you're not someone who was raised to manage your money well and had positive influence in your life, and you're not someone who really, I don't know when, was fortunate enough to take classes to teach you how to manage your money, then you have no clue what you're up against. You're every single day getting bombarded. You need this, it'll make your life better. You need this, it'll make your life better. You need this, and they just don't know. Yep. I think it's giving too much credit, though, to the marketing. Like, at the end of the day, the economics and the personal point is money in, money out. That's all it is. How much you bring in, how much you're spending out. And I feel like like if someone doesn't understand that, that's not something you have to teach in school. It's not something you got to have a good role model for. I mean, I think there's more a presence of negative role models where parents continually spend even though that they don't have the money coming in for it. They're taking out credit card loans and that type of stuff. Yeah. I, I like them both. My Joey, I think Joey nailed my point. I think he sees he sees exactly where I'm coming. It's it's not the it's not that that everyone should do better and have better willpower because I get that that is true. Is like you're in charge of yourself and only you control that. It's at what point is it morally wrong that we figured out how to cause these emotions in people and that we're allowed to cause them as many times as we want, any time throughout the day, and just like ruin someone's brain over this. Like it's. That's that's not natural, and that hasn't ever. Joey was right. That has never happened in the history of the world. We're the first generation to have to really, really deal with this problem. Yeah, you gotta recognize when you're being sold something, and I'm I'm just saying that's not something everyone can do. You effectively, I mean, well, you yeah, can recognize humans it. are intelligent species, and, and you should be able to know when someone's trying to sell you something. But it's it's crazy now. It's it's just constant selling twenty four seven from every angle. And I just think some people who grew up in poverty are, like you said, Matt, negative role models. They see, they think it's normal to carry a heavy credit card debt and they just get trapped in a cycle. So I think we're fixing this though, to some degree, especially as we move towards streaming things like TV is the perfect example of this. 
used to be, I mean, when TV first came out, no ads, then eventually ads came along and they blew up and took in more and more of the hour of TV that you watch. And then we created streaming and we got Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and all these other ones. And you can just pay a little bit more and not have ads. Like that's a thing. And even on apps on your phone, when you get a little game or whatever, you can pay a little bit more and not have ads. Now it'll be interesting when this finally branches over to social media, because that is like their only revenue stream is ads on their platforms is okay. Can I go on there and say, I'm willing to pay $3 a month and not have any uh, ads on my Facebook slash Instagram since they're bundled or Twitter, whatever it may be. I think you just fixed that. I've never considered that in my life. And that makes so much sense to me. I would pay, yeah, I would pay $10 a month, which is $120 a year. If Twitter and Instagram would never advertise anything to me, I would, that, that, that would be money well, well spent, I think. And I don't know at what point do they have to have an adoption big enough that it makes them more money than it makes the ad producers paying them. I don't know. See, I think, yeah. I think it would cost them too much for us to do that because I think so many people would do it. And so I don't think they're necessarily going to do it being the big players. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to have our first Web3 social media come out with this exact purpose. It's going... <laughs> It's going to be a mimic of Twitter or Facebook, whatever, and it'll just won't have ads and you just have to subscribe to it instead. And that's how they make money. Web3 social media is an interesting concept. So that gets teased a lot in a lot of the circles that I try to participate in and don't always successfully do on Twitter. It's a concept of you join this and just by joining, you get whatever tokens are used to make decisions within this community. And you're allowed to spend those tokens however you want. You can use them to vote on things. You can use them to purchase items, abilities, whatever within the community, which could be, I don't know, I want to have a different avatar here. I want to have a different profile picture. I want to be able to react differently to someone me someone's message. Uh, I want my profile to be promoted, etc. You get the point. But it's, it's different because it used to be you have to pay them in order to gain access to the premium stuff. In the new social media Web3 concept, it is they pay you and you decide how you want to allocate that. And the whole community gets to have that same exact experience. I think it's not totally fully formed, but it's a really cool idea. Imagining like character creation, but for social media, like when you first get into like a video game and it's like, how big do I want my forehead or how much do I want the strength or versus intelligence versus yeah. charisma, like whatever else. 10 points, spend like, them however you want. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's cool. I mean, well, we, we talked about like what video game characters we would be like if we played and had our party together. And that's exactly what I'm envisioning is, you know, I'd go on and I'd basically say like, okay, here's, here's how I want to participate in this community. I want to be the guy that probably like watches 75% of the time. Uh, contributes 25% of the time, but most of my contributions are going to be piling onto someone else's. They're not going to be like my own content creation, but then a small period of the time, I do want to promote our own content, which would be this show, our Substack writings, our company projects that we build, stuff like that. It would, And it could adapt to what you asked it for in the beginning. I said, okay, well, now I know that they're using this platform for this reason. This is how they've spent their tokens, allocated their votes. I'm going to adapt accordingly to make sure that they have the best experience and that they're connecting with the people that can make that experience happen. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So Peloton, I know we've done Peloton like four flipping weeks in a row, but every week something new happens and I'm loving it. And I just want to, I just want to keep on it until it 
becomes boring because it's not boring yet. So the new CEO came on and he said, hey, I want to pivot. And that's, you know, what we've been talking about. He said, all right, how are they going to pivot and solve themselves because they're bleeding money and not fixing anything? They said, hey, I want to pivot. I want to appeal to the creator economy. We're going to talk about possibly hosting our own app store and letting people build programs that can run on our bikes on its own ecosystem, similar to how your Apple iPhone is an ecosystem, kind of, that's the, that's the, the wording for it. But your Peloton would work similar to an iPhone of its own design. And you could download apps, you could download programs, and I'm sitting here thinking, this is really interesting. This could mean you could add productivity apps, uh, working additions, so that you could do more stuff while you're working out and make this an even more productive all-in-one home workout machine. It's a really cool idea. And it's it's one of those like open-ended things that just invites the community to create, which is good because that's free for you. I think it's going to fail and it's going to become a shtick if they do that just because <laughs> working out works great when you do it in an environment solely for working out because you can get in that mindset. You start mixing in work and mindset and then you don't want to work out because it's associated with work from the mental side. Also, you start adding games in there and I'm imagining handlebars with a in there that you can turn or drive, whatever it may be. And then it's just going to be like first edition Wii's and people are going to be like, okay, this was fun for a year and then it's just going to sit. It's not going to do anything. I hate so it. I, your, I'm against it. Your first point was perfectly accurate and I, I didn't think about that at all. But the second one I disagree with. I think gaming and exercise go so well together. I think they can. I just don't think this is necessarily the way to do it. Oh, my God. I'm sweating after an hour of Beat Saber and I'm loving it. Every second. I'm like, give me more. Love this. And you feel productive. But that's because they took a game that included physical activity. I think when you take physical activity and you try to make a game of it, then you lose the core importance of enjoyment from the game because you're trying to build something around an already built system. It's not going to work out as well. Maybe. And trying to schedule, like trying to mix gaming and working out is not a new concept in any way. You're right. I mean, the Wii is a good example of that. It's like Wii Fit and all that stuff. It's really cute for a little bit and you do it once or twice and you say, oh, this is awesome. I love making a little guy go zoom. And then it's not that fun anymore because you realize you'd rather be playing an actual game. You're right. I, I get that. I agree. That's essentially the whole point is that like when you build a game and you have the extra bit of like, oh, you actually get some activity at the same time, then it's more about the game than it is the physical activity. But with this, it's going to be like all built around the physical activity part, which is going to lack in the game part. Yeah. I think even if you make a good game, it's still mostly about working out. So just like the Wii, not going to work. I agree. The Wii was fun, but the best parts of the Wii were like Mario Kart and Legend of Zelda and that kind of stuff. Which were games yeah. that weren't based around activity. <laughs> they were they were sitting around games. The little wheel on the couch. You didn't have to get up. It's true. And, you know, some of them were like, hey, you know, swing the remote to swing a sword, but you could just flick your wrist a little bit and it would work just fine. Yep. All right, I see your point. I'm willing to I'm willing to give that one. I don't know. I still have high hopes. What do you think, Joey? You're the Peloton guy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of with Matt here just because I think back to the Wii Fit, and the Wii Fit was like the most pointless thing in the world. And I know the Peloton won't be the Wii Fit. It's totally different. But just for reference, the Wii Fit was just a board, and uh, and you would stand on the board. And it's a good idea in concept but it's really hard to sell to someone like that you're actually doing something productive when all you have is a little board and you're standing on it and doing squats or lunges i feel like the peloton itself 
is enticing as a product because you're getting a workout and you're getting it in a more enjoyable fashion, but it does not border a gamified workout yet. Is that right? I'd say so. Well, yeah. Okay. And I think once you cross that line from workout to game, that's where the problem becomes real. Willing to buy that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take the tentative yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, there's there's a good difference between, you know, working out and then games that you get you active. Like active games are different than a good hard workout in the gym, I think. Granted, they'll help you burn gal calories, but there's still a game. Yeah. And like, like if you play Mario Tennis, like, yeah, it'll get you up and moving like you're playing tennis, but you're not. It's different than running on a treadmill for 30 minutes and then bench pressing and doing dumbbells and all that. That's true. And I, for the record, I separate my workouts and my games completely. Is I, Whenever I work out, I'm there to work out. And whenever I run, it is a full disconnect. There is no phone, no nothing. It is Each workout serves its own purpose, and you don't mix them because I do agree that if you mix them, you lose a lot of the functionality of it. The point of this, I think, is that a lot of the people who are building projects nowadays one of the big themes they're talking about is that they want to gamify almost everything. They want, they want to try to make every piece of life almost as enjoyable as possible while still maximizing productivity. They said, we want your work to feel like a game. We want there to be rewards, incentives. We want everything to feel bright and colorful and fun, even though it might not be. And I'm, I, this is just one of those early iterations of us trying to do that is let's try to gamify and reward working out, which, to be honest, I don't think it's ever worked before, but I don't know. I'm allowed to have high hopes. I'll still stick by my point that if it's a game that also allows you to do something else, whether it's work or workout, whatever it is, then it works. But if you take the core concept of doing something else and try to gamify it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Which is why the Wii didn't really work out long term, which is why the Peloton won't work out. Because it's not based around gaming. It's not the greatest way to do it. Your theory is start with game, add productivity equals good. Start with productivity, add game equals bad. Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah, fine. I'll buy that. All right. I wanted to mention quickly as we'll pivot a little bit. Uh, we got two more I really want to do. The first one is we did it, guys. The Federal Reserve banned its employees from trading securities. And that securities includes pretty much everything all the way down from stocks all the way to cryptocurrency. And that's kind of wild. This is like... This is nuts. The retail traders did it. They they complained and they whined enough about insider trading. And they they tweeted so much. The Twitter fingers were just on fire for so long, for a year and a half, that they did it. They made the change. Same happened with uh, federal judges, I believe. The ones that are putting in, uh, that are creating laws and that type junk, that they're banned as well. This is good. This is very good. Wow. This is good stuff. I love it. I love to actually uh, see things happen. But our favorite uh, Miss Pelosi is still out there doing her thing. She's actually against it. She, she's she's made enough money now that she's like, I'm against it. We shouldn't be able to trade uh, stocks without all this different stuff. I did see that. I yeah. So the first iteration of this whole let's let's find out who's actually cheating the system had came from uh, I think it was the Nancy Pelosi stock tracker on Twitter, which is great. And then they got banned because you know the. 
the Illuminati took them over and all that stuff. But now it's just a politician tracker. And so they, they, they do the data mining to figure out who's putting in the trades from where. And they're just all cheating and they're all lying and they're all insider trading. It's wild. And then you see, you look at it and you're like, the people who are making the most money and insider trading the most, according to the data mines, are the ones that are sitting here like wildly and actively against it. There, there has to be some angle. <laughs> there absolutely has to be. <laughs> Also, what, what was it that just happened? Oh, when Activision got bought, coincidentally, Berkshire Hathaway bought a whole lot of shares like oh, the yeah. day before. Yep. And they were like, oh, it was it was just a coincidence. We had already planned for that to occur. And I was like, okay. Yeah, coming, coming from a company that called cryptocurrency a venereal disease and would just never want anything to do with gaming and any of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Not man. At all. It is so funny to watch it all come to light, but not worth getting upset about, you know. Well, I wanted to end on a happy note. We'll talk about DeLorean Motor Company is coming back. You'll remember those crazy cars from Back to the Future. They uh, they just announced, and they've been bankrupt for quite a while. They pretty much just went under. And uh, so they had just announced a new headquarters in San Antonio, hired 450 new people, and they're promising electric vehicles, which is kind of awesome because, you know, in the Back to the Future thing, if you're keeping with that theme, you're going to want this to be the most futuristic wild car of all time. Thinking back to the last few years, there was a few video games that really featured a sort of modified, crazy new DeLorean style. I want to say Cyberpunk did it and Forza also had it. They uh, they, they took it and they said, what if this thing was made in like 2080, 2100, just, just way in the future? And it looked incredible. And I'm kind of hoping they style it off of that. Yeah, I think Cyberpunk is a fantastic example of the cars of if we had taken those 70s like muscle cars and we just kind of smoothed out the edges just a little bit. We evened out the lines a little bit. We took out some of the 80s tech with all the different uh, RGB lights in there and we just kind of made it a little bit more modern. And I think that's what these companies like DeLorean need to do because the track record so far is is we're gonna create the new version and it just doesn't come out great. They need to make the old version and then slowly walk it into whatever their new era dream is for what it should look like. Yeah, and they have the advantage. They literally have the name brand sitting right there. Like you, you could say, you could put DeLorean on anything and any cult car fanatic is gonna sit there and say, oh my God, that's so cool. Even though it was a horrible car, absolutely atrocious. We have to have one. We actually, Joey, we actually had one in our family, funny enough. It was on your or your side of the world. But uh, I, I really wish I would have been a car freak back then. But this is wild. And funny enough, so they, they shut down in 1982 whenever they went bankrupt. And since then, the company and the CEO in particular, the, the founder died a while back. But the CEO has been buying up the remaining parts inventory, the logo. And he's basically just been servicing the remaining 6,500 DeLoreans. It's about 6,500 in the U.S., that are on the road. And that's that's really cool. It basically said, all right, people loved this thing, even though it wasn't very good. They loved it so much that they kept it and they were willing to travel across the country to I think like Oklahoma, something like that. He's in some random part of the country just to have their DeLorean serviced by him and get the parts replaced. That's really cool. I remember down in Naples for school, we had this, it was like an exotic car shop uh, that was near us, John. And it was right off of, I think 41, if you went south enough. And they had six DeLoreans sitting in the lot when I went there with my dad when I first toured. Jeez. And 
there was only like two that were like legitimately drivers and the rest were all parts cars. Yep. And like, these are sitting right next to like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and that type of stuff on this like exotic resale lot, essentially. Yeah. But, and I was like, this is wild. They're up there with the bullet Mustang. I mean, how many cars have had a classic movie made about them? Mm, fair enough. So I was sitting there thinking, I, I guess Texas is like the new hot car hub. Cause we've got Tesla moving there. Uh, Gosh, I want to say, well, Hennessy's still there, but they've been there for a while. I think Atlas is going there. Uh, there's a bunch of the new hot companies that are all moving there, including DeLorean, which, you know, San Antonio is their new HQ. But I guess they're, they're probably going to manufacture in Texas as well. They haven't announced it yet. That's kind of cool. You know, big on big on you, Texas. Go for it. Texas is perfect. It's got the youth. Well, Texas and Florida are the big ones that companies move into. And Florida doesn't have the youth. They're being pushed out by high prices. So people are going to places like Texas and it's cheap to work there. There's a whole lot of land there that's still available, unlike here in Florida. So it's, it's just kind of like the better version of our state with worse beaches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a river. No, no, no real beaches. But just a small caveat. <laughs> yep. Yep. Worthwhile. Worth doing. Also, our air is so much thicker, which is a pain. I don't know. I haven't been out there. I can't attest to that. There's no I way it's drier there. There's no way there's anywhere in the planet that has less swampy air than Florida, besides like Taiwan, probably. I don't know. I haven't been. I haven't been over there, but I just gotta assume our air is like a milkshake in the summertime, and you can't. T- it feels like your car is just really trying its hardest and not getting a lot out of it. Who needs a sauna in Florida? We can just go sit in your hot car in the afternoon. <laughs> it's true. all right all right you guys got anything else i think that probably wraps us up it's 10 minutes shorter than usual wow we got through a whole lot we did we did and you were worried about going over i was i was all right well i guess that wraps us up so we'll uh we'll see either end of the week weekend or monday it's life's getting crazy so we're gonna do our best but we will see you soon yep see you soon see you soon